Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. With season 46 in the books, we're here to take a look back at the season as a whole and break down its most memorable moments, standout hosts, and exceptional sketches. I'm Catherine Coleman, and I'm joined this week by low-key Canadian daddies John Murray and Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with any of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. Enjoy this full-length, supporter-only version of this week's episode. If you like what you see, you can find all of our unabridged, ad-free video coverage of Saturday Night Live exclusively on Patreon and Subscribestar slash SNL Podcast. It's our supporters who make this show possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already come on board. All right, here we go. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Excellent. Welcome back to. I'm assuming you're in New York. Is I that, am back in New case? York. Yes. Yeah, you have you have your backdrop, so I'm, I'm guessing I have my standard curtain. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> it's and, good and to Steve, be back. It looks like you're finally getting some traveling in. Where Where are you broadcasting from this evening? I, I just ended up in a random office that was uh-huh. uh, that happened to be empty. I'm, yeah, no place of note. Yeah, just just a random place I picked. Uh, it's cozy. I'm going to stay here for a while. I think. Very good. Hope security Looks doesn't nice. find you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, season 46, the season that at the beginning seemed like it might not even happen or might not be in studio, ended up with 20 in-studio episodes. They brought in some grade A hosts, had a huge cast, and eventually a fully vaccinated regular-sized audience that brought a lot of energy to the finale. It gave us a uh, return to normal. We got plenty of laughs. And uh, lots of speculation about who might be saying goodbye to the show, who might be sticking around a little longer. Mm-hmm. So I think let's dive into it. John, I know you collected some feedback today, so mm-hmm. why don't you take over from here? All right. I will jump in. Um, so, yeah, it's our postseason recap show, and it's a great opportunity to let our listeners have their say, chime in, maybe um, guide us with some questions that they would like us to ask, or even just you know rant, rave, whatever they've got. Um, this is their opportunity to have their voice heard. And so we're going to run through some feedback first off from our patrons because patrons always get top billing when we do listener feedback. Um, so we'll jump right in here. We'll start with Grace Kogan, who says, I love seeing the new cast get more screen time, but I have to say, I thought season 46 was a bit more streaky than usual. They'd have three or four great shows, Timothy Chalamet to John Krasinski, then three or four really awkward shows. While the hot and cold spells are always part of SNL, I personally could feel it more this season. So this is something that I think we can bat around a little bit. Every season of SNL has highs and lows, standout shows, uh, forgettable shows. Uh, Do we think that Grace has tapped into something? Do we feel like maybe with the uh, more restrictive production means that they had available to them, that it was easier for the production to kind of get out of their groove and maybe go for an extended period of time before they kind of found their footing and got into another hot streak. Do we feel it was more streaky as grace put it? Uh, what do you think, Steve, anything to that? She might be onto something. Mm-hmm. Nothing I would have uh, ever picked up on my own, but uh, I can see where she's coming from and it could be just like just the mental exhaustion that kicks in uh, followed by your second wind creatively. Right. And you know, with people working together like this, uh, it makes sense that they're kind of in sync with uh, 
the times in which they burn out. I mean, they must have to rely on, rely on each other like a, a special extra amount given mm-hmm. the circumstances. So I'd say uh, once, uh, you know, once people start to, to run dry, it, it, it can affect the whole family. So I, sure. I hot, hot and cold streaks. Yeah. Uh, what, what about you, Catherine? Do you, do you think that that kind of sums up the rhythm of the season or did you have a different take on how it flowed? Uh, I didn't think it was any more streaky than any other season. You know, we had, we had those at the, at the beginning of the season, six and five shows in a row. And you know, those, those were a little bit more all over the place and you could see where they were getting tired. Um, but you know, towards the back half, I thought, I thought it felt like a regular season of SNL. Right. You know, some some better than others, but I didn't I don't know. It didn't stand out to me. Yeah, I I think I agree with Grace to a to a certain extent. And I think that it's more just a matter of the big chunks of on weeks that they had, like you mentioned, Catherine. So if you do get in a hot streak and you just keep going and everyone's gelling, they're excited to come back and do another one because, you know, we just we got great reviews and and everyone was having fun last week and we got another host we're excited about. It's easy to keep that momentum up when you don't then have a hiatus to just mentally uh, disconnect from the show and just uh, intentionally just forget about it for a little while. And then the slow right. ramp up could be half of another run before you get back in that groove. So I, I do think I was feeling that early on in the season. I was just attributing it to. COVID and the fact that we didn't understand, like if the audience was get feeding back the energy that they needed mm-hmm. to, to know that they're doing good work or not. Like there was just so much different about how the show felt early on that, uh, I just kind of wrote it off as, okay, well, this is what COVID era SNL in studio is going to be. But when I look back on it, I, I have to say there was a, uh, right before the inauguration, like the first few runs of the show, there was some really great, like three week stretches where I just thought everyone was at least great. Um, you know, early on in the season. And then in the back half of the season, I felt like they really struggled to find their footing each time they came back. It, it just felt like they were always just warming up. So, um, yeah, uneven, but at least, you know, the, the highs were high They're considering how much, uh, pressure the production had to, you know, have this, uh, added overhead of kind of anxiety surrounding COVID the fact that they got 20 episodes out and none of them felt like significantly worse than typical era SNL and the good ones were still like really good SNL uh, even if it was streaky per se I still feel like in the aggregate we got as much good stuff as we typically get so I think I think that's where I would land on that that sounds fair yeah all right well let's keep plugging along here uh, up next, Ronald Burgess says, great work this season. I love listening to your cast. Well, thank you so much, Ronald. We, <laughs> we work hard on it and we really appreciate it when uh, people appreciate what we're putting out. On last week's show, there was some confusion about why Vin Diesel was the main character for the Da Movies sketch. That sketch references a real commercial that is currently playing. The commercial shows Vin Diesel talking about going back to the movies while promoting Fast 9, the new film in the Fast and Furious franchise. Okay. So this is where I'm going to step in and add a little meta commentary because that was not lost on me, Ronald, (laughs) but I did not participate in that episode. And the fun thing about being the executive producer now of the SNL podcast, rather than being involved in every episode, is that sometimes the first time that I actually see the episode is when Catherine delivers the edit. I put it up on YouTube. I watch it on YouTube when anyone else can watch it on YouTube. And I just hope, hope beyond hope that it's a good episode. And most of the time, (laughs) Catherine knocks it out of the park. But occasionally I find myself yelling at the screen saying, oh, oh, what a, what a whiff. 
And, and by uh, yelling at the screen, he does mean sending me 15 text yes, messages. Yes. <laughs> and the nice thing is I have direct access to the host of the SNL podcast. Um, so uh, when when I feel like we've dropped the ball on our commentary, um, Catherine does hear about it. So don't feel like, um, you know, your your misgivings on our coverage of that particular sketch went unnoticed. Uh, all the appropriate parties have been sacked. My deepest apologies to Vin Diesel, the <laughs> yes. cast and crew of Fast 9 and uh steven castillo yes it was a, a terrible slight terrible oversight um ron burgess continues on though with uh what i'm going to have to paraphrase because it's it's a very big thesis on uh something very dire that is impacting pop culture but i'm just going to distill it down into a question that we can bat around here so basically what what ron is asking in his his next uh, bit of feedback here is back in the day when snl started if they wanted to lampoon pop culture, it was simple. You know, three networks, one summer blockbuster movie, and, you know, you had iconic things that everybody watching the show would be in on the joke because everybody saw Jaws. So if you're going to do Land Shark, everybody knows what you're goofing on and so on and so forth. That's what culture looked like in the 70s and into the 80s and into the 90s. And then, you know, the internet came along and now we have streaming services that are making incredible capital investments in producing pretty much anything that gets pitched to them. And so, I mean, even at SNL, they've had to adapt because many of their players uh, are getting development deals and, and are able to quickly produce shows in the off season or in tandem with their SNL duties. So just the opportunity for shows to come out and just the volume of content that's out there. Um, Ron Burgess was pointing out that in this climate with this much content, when SNL lampoons a series, how can they even really expect that the majority of their audience is going to be in on the joke, like the murder dirter sketch? Uh, you know, that was lampooning a very specific show. We all kind of just took it to be a genre goof, you know, on those kind of um, investigator uh, true crime or not true crime, but, you know, like uh, murder mystery type affair. Um, but no, it, it, it was uh, there was an actual touchstone reference to it. So much like, you know, we whiffed on Vin Diesel. It's getting more and more difficult to be able to just keep on top of everything that is flowing through the zeitgeist and, and have a handle on everything that SNL might pick up on that they want to goof on. So how, you know, you guys are the ones that carry this burden because you have to comment on everything that SNL produces. Um, do you feel like we're in an era that is just too packed for anyone to be able to do justice to this. How, how are we going to evolve with this, this new content culture that we're living in? <laughs> so here's the thing with writing topical comedy and the, and anything that is referential. And, and it's something that I struggle with too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm writing and producing sketches constantly. And sometimes I'll take it to a director and he'll say, I don't know what this is about. Mm -hmm. And I'm say. Okay. Um, and, and, and that is what it is. But I think the interesting thing is there are ways to make it, to make specific jokes about a specific thing, but it's still to be broad enough that most people will get it. Right. So something like murder dirter. I have not watched the mayor of Easttown, but I still loved the sketch mm -hmm. because it was, it wasn't so specific that it completely went over my head. It, it had enough going on with it that it was still funny without necessarily getting that specific right. joke you know so i think i think mostly they're doing fine with it you know that it can be broad enough with some like specific jokes for the fans that it that it works and everyone yes. gets it and is and says we're on the same page mm -hmm. but then there are certain things like this vin diesel commercial that you know <laughs> maybe some people didn't see um and i but i don't know like is it 
is that the end of the world that some people didn't see it? Because we still overall liked the sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, that one I think is probably the most specific thing we've seen in a long time as far as um, not getting it if you're not in on this joke. But I, I, I think they're doing fine. Okay. <laughs> Steve, you got a hot take on this, uh, this topic? Sure. I, I was guilty of not getting it as well, <laughs> you know? And did and, you get an angry text or is that just me now? <laughs> well, you're the no, producer, no. Catherine. You're the host. So it, it, yeah. the buck stops with you. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. No, I've been, I've been relieved of that more so uh, these days. But yeah, I, it's, it still has a lot of things that makes this work, even if you're not familiar with the commercial. Like the fact that the commercial features Vin Diesel, plenty of people know Vin Diesel without having seen this commercial. He's not sure. famous for this commercial. So we can at least understand the impression and things like that. So those elements are, are what Catherine was talking about, you know, making it more accessible. Yeah. Like if you think of the Oscar, the grouch uh, Joker parody, you may not have seen the movie, but I'm sure you saw at least a few seconds of a TV spot mm-hmm. for it. And that, and that's basically what they went for was to capture the essence of the trailer. Basically the most accessible aspect of something is what they will try to encapsulate. Right. right. So I, I think you touched on the key point there, Steve, is the sketch succeeds if they see the real source material and they find the joke in it. And if they find the joke in it and then can communicate that comedically in the sketch, it doesn't matter if you've seen the source material. And the best sketches um, can live on their own, even if you d- aren't in on the joke, because you're in on the joke that they're presenting. Even if you're not in on the source material, you understand what it is they're trying to convey on top of this you know, particular thing. Um, Mm. And so when SNL succeeds, it's when they're doing true parody. Well, maybe not true parody, but when they're doing true commentary uh, in their parody, then it doesn't hang on the parody, just on the parody alone. Um, Because if it is just purely like, isn't this a funny looking thing? And aren't these funny characters with funny voices? Like if it is just mocking the source material, then it will quickly lose anyone that misses out on it. And I think SNL, has been very savvy in not letting their parodies be that dumb. You know, they hit parodies when there is a joke that stands on its own. And when they do that, it always works just like yeah. murder Dirter or, you know, so many others. Um, so I think, I, I think that's really the, the best advice we can offer the show. And it's advice they already obviously know, but that if there's <laughs> any adaptation that has to happen, it's just purely that they need to remember that fewer and fewer people are going to be in on the, the you know what they're lampooning so they better just make sure that the joke stands on its own mm-hmm. um and i th- i think they're doing a good job on it Catherine. i know you have one more yeah. point to make and we just <laughs> we're playing playing movie movie so. say, um, your, say your piece final word Catherine. no i was going to say and it might contradict what i said before because i think <laughs> i do i do stand by you should try to make it funny for everyone but i also think that snl shouldn't and isn't afraid to acknowledge that not every sketch is for everybody that's you know, my mom didn't get the stew joke she wasn't familiar with the Eminem thing. And that's okay. It wasn't for her. <laughs> and, you know, so I think I think they're comfortable with that and sure. should be comfortable with that. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a balancing act. You got to make sure that a, if you're going to have these kind of specific pieces that are only going to 
speak to a very small subset of your audience, you got to make sure that there's other stuff so that when that sketch is over and people are scratching their head, they have something fun to jump into, Exactly. you know, and that's all <laughs> yes. part of, you know, the, the genius of the rundown, you know, when, when mm-hmm. Lauren and the producers get that right, you can feel, you can feel they consciously understand that. Like this is a very specific niche kind of comedy and only about 10% of our audience is going to like it. So let's make sure that we bookend it with some just broad stuff and then people will yeah. just forget all about <laughs> it and keep moving with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, or throw so, yeah, it in the Tinder an- one slot, like Vin Diesel. <laughs> Exactly. Well, exactly. I think that we have uh, more than explored uh, Ronald Burgess's um, thoughts on that. So I think we need to move right along here. We're going to get into some feedback from a listener on Reddit, Mysterious Ad 9008, who says, I think it's weird how SNL is constantly out of touch with younger humor. Like they have young people like Pete and Andrew, but they don't really utilize them. Now, after we went on a, a whole big tear about SNL evolving to meet the voices of the young people in a, in a modern context. Uh, do we think that mysterious ad 9,008 is onto something when he says that maybe the show doesn't always know how to use the young up and comers, like the really green, fresh faced like 19, 20 year olds that come into the show. Not that Andrew Desmukes is that young, but he looks it. Um, do we feel like maybe it, it takes a while before they figure out how to capitalize on what their youngest players can bring to the show? What, what do you think, Catherine? Well, he says constantly out of touch. I don't know that that's fair. <laughs> a little hyperbolic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, there, there are definitely times where you can you can cringe a little bit. Like I, they tried to do that like meme sketch a while ago, and yes. <laughs> um, the young people really did not like that. Uh, sure. <laughs> so I, I think I think sometimes it seems like they're maybe trying too hard to be young, and then sometimes they don't try at all. <laughs> but I know Gen Z people who watch the show and like the show. Um, so I don't know that they're completely out of touch. Um, sure. and maybe, maybe they're not trying to be, you know, that might be an intentional thing. They, they know what their demographics are. They, mm-hmm. they see the stats. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Steve? You got any deep thoughts on this? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're always going to have a significant portion of your screen time as a young cast member, uh, playing the, the, the prom dates and the sons and the nephews, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, even if you're like perfect for this part and it's hilarious and you could kill every line, but you're also like the sprightliest, uh, you know, skittiest cast member. So yeah, you're, you're playing the, uh, (laughs) you're playing the boyfriend of the main character. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, sure. That's, that's part of paying your dues, but it can happen to a detriment of of your career if that happens too often Mm because you really want to prove yourself and, Coming in as a an older white dude, not having to fill any of those uh, diversity roles or uh, any of those niche uh, characters, uh, you know, they have much more freedom to thrive. So it's sure. it's it's just another privilege, I guess, of of being of that perfect uh, mix of uh, older white male, I guess. <laughs> okay, all right. So. Didn't there, mean there, to make there, it about identity politics, but <laughs> there's a point in there somewhere. I, I I think it's it's well stated. When the young people join the show, they got to make their bones, and oftentimes they are taking the more menial roles. So when they have an audience that's championing them at the show, and they're not at the top of the heap, it feels like they're being marginalized, and you know nobody's giving them a chance or whatever. But oftentimes that really just comes down to perspective. Um, because right. if you are watching the show specifically for one player any week that they don't have a standout show, it's the end of the world. Like 
you know, we, we have to keep our finger kind of on the pulse of sort of the fan community and what's flowing through Twitter and, and all that. So it, it always amazes me, like Kate McKinnon, who has had one of the most exceptional runs of anyone on the show ever. If there's an episode where she just her stuff just doesn't get through and, and she's only in every other sketch instead of every sketch, <laughs> you have half of the Internet just calling down, you know, hail and brimstone on the show for you know, not appreciating Kate. Um, so, I mean, it, it really just, it comes down to our perspective and, and who we're watching the show for. And so as you do get a younger audience championing the younger audience, they're going to feel that a lot more, but ultimately, like we've already touched on the, the show isn't monolithic. There's the young crew and the young writers that are the up and comers at the show that are going to find their voice. But by the time they find their voice and by the time they're running the show, they're in their forties. <laughs> and so, you know, like you kind of have to stick with the show to see your people come into their own. And by that time you are the old fogey, right? So the, the people that love Pete now, you know, they've been with him on the show for, well, I guess, yeah, seven years, I guess. Um, and so now, you know, they're the ones that aren't the newest, youngest, hippest generation watching the show. And what Pete's doing is more substantial and more uh, like universal and accessible and not just the young guy role. So you just kind of have to grow with the show. And if you can take it on those terms and, and just accept that those players time will come and only a portion of any given show is meant to speak to your particular sensibility. Um, then it's a little easier to take, but yeah, if you're a, a super Stan and your guy doesn't get the role. Yeah, I, I get it. That's, that's, that's all there is for you, uh, on that particular <laughs> week. And so it's going to feel like a bummer week. Um, but yeah, we, we could beat a dead horse here, but that that's the nature of the show. It's always been that way. Uh, moving right along. We got some Twitter feedback from T Jones who says, would you like new head and supervising writers? And if so, who I expected Anna Dresden's work to infiltrate more of the show's first acts, but her best work arrived on update. Sudi green's exit will be felt Gary Richardson's bigger presence makes me think he'll take her spot. Okay. Uh, big question. A lot of inside baseball there for the folks that don't keep their finger on what's happening in the writer's room. Um, but Catherine, I know that you do. So why don't you tackle this first? Um, <laughs> what, what, give us the state of the union for the writer's room and where you think things are going. Well, uh, T. Jones is right. Sudi will be very well missed. Um, mm -hmm. Phenomenal writer on to, I assume, bigger things. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, interesting he mentions Gary Richardson because I was watching uh, Michael Che's HBO Max show and noticed that Gary was listed as a supervising writer on it. Um, yeah. So it definitely is uh, well respected in the writing room um, and close with Che. So I think I think you could be onto something. You know, Gary could be seeing a, a supervisor promotion. Um, but you know, Fran Gillespie, as far as I know, isn't leaving. So we still have her in that role. Worked pretty closely with Sudi. Um, and yeah, I. I disagree, though, that Anna Dresden, I thought, was pretty heavy in the season. Um, uh, I, I think it was very infiltrated, you know, her new role with this co-head writer with Michael and Colin. And I was anticipating them to maybe leave after this season. But now Michael Che's all over the Internet saying that's not so. But who could know with him? Um, I wouldn't be opposed to them ending their time at the show. Not that they're not that I'm mad at them or you know think that they're not doing a good job anymore but it seems like we're just due for a big overhaul and a big change and we have a lot of cast members that we think might be leaving and it just seems like it it could be right to just have a full you know kind of new new thing going on and get new head writers in there and 
and have a have a fresh start to the next season. But you know, the show will be great regardless. I have faith. Okay, uh, Steve, is it time for a writers' room shakeup? Uh, you know, any any thoughts on up and comers who should be uh, making their move to dethrone the the kings and queens of the writing room? Well, that's that's the thing. We're I don't believe that we're in any position to to force anything. Uh, we're talking about a position that technically remains to be still filled mm-hmm. by two of the three heads of of that writing monster. Yeah, we we may not see any any movement into that role. It, it it is not always a good thing to see you know your favorite writer be given more responsibility for you know the entire scope right. of the show. It it may take away from what they're able to do. Uh, on their own projects and, and you may end up missing that they may have more of a role on the show but less of the role that you love seeing them do right okay um, there's definitely some like young guys in the writing room that i think are getting stronger by the episode like i mean we were talking about steven castillo and dan Beulah almost constantly right. this season you know yeah. so I, th- I think we've got some some strong uh not totally fresh but somewhat fresh talent that is is ready for more screen time yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard to get a, a sense of how the you know the producers and the decision makers at the show view the writing room at any given time because it's always in flux and there's there are mid season comings and goings too and there's you know they're constantly evaluating just what's going to turn out the best show and it isn't necessarily uh, the the strength of any individual writer but are they generating the kind of stuff that just plays for their audience so sometimes there's brilliant people and they just they just don't thrive with the kind of material that cuts through and ends up making it to air. Um, and that's kind of been Gary Richardson's gear at the show for a while is um, he gets a lot of stuff through read and a lot of stuff produced. And um, you know, then for some reason it, it maybe just gets cut before dress or just after dress. But um, uh, you know, as, as much as he's respected, I'm not entirely sure that SNL is just the best vehicle for what, you know, he and uh collaborating with Sam J and you know, just some of the other people that just never quite seem to crack the code of SNL, but are brilliant talents in their own right. Um, Yeah. So I don't know if just moving them up and kind of forcing the show to adapt to what they bring is always the best move. Sometimes it's, it's a matter of uh, giving them another project or letting them branch out, which is exactly what we see with Gary Richardson here or with Sam J or uh, even Michael Che, (laughs) like uh, everybody, (laughs) you know, Sometimes they can do better work at SNL when they don't feel like it's the only place for them to get their voice heard. And then they can be a little bit more accommodating of meeting SNL halfway with kind of what SNL needs for material. Um, so it, it's, it's a big question and there's no easy answers. And all I can say is there's no way for us here in the peanut gallery to have the, the insight and perspective of actually being, you know, in the room week over week, just seeing who's thriving and who's collaborating and, and who's really like setting the pace and, and making the tone of the show better. And because of that, I just, I don't like to speculate. So T Jones, I, that's maybe a, an anticlimactic answer, but I think that there's a lot of talented people in that room. And I think the show knows better than we ever could on really, you know, who needs to be where to, to make the show great. So, um, that is, as much listener feedback as we're going to cover at this point. Now we got a lot of listener feedback that has a lot more to do with topics that we were already planning on covering or, you know, more than one person chimed in on a similar topic. So we're going to continue to address some of the things that our listeners wanted us to talk about, but we're going to do it kind of in our, our formal, uh, you know, best of, 
uh, discussion that's coming up. But before I turn back to Catherine to get into our superlatives, I just want to take a moment to talk to our audience for just a moment about something that is very near and dear to my heart. And that is the affliction of gingerism, which I know Steve, uh, you know, is also a very passionate advocate of uh, ginger awareness because uh, being from Newfoundland where gingerism runs rampant, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, a blight and a, a tragedy that, that he witnesses and, and just experiences personally on a, on a daily basis. So, um, I just, I felt like, it's you hard. know, yeah, it is. Um, you know, we have a platform here and I, I think we would be derelict in, in our duty as, um, you know, uh, Canadians of Irish and Scottish heritage to not do what we can to, uh, you know, bring some awareness to that cause. Mm. And so with that in mind, I want to tell our audience all about this very, very funny podcast called Ginger on Ginger. It's a free-flowing comedy podcast hosted by two of Montana's most award-winning redhead comedians. Uh, I'm sure that that is a very, very large awards category that they're competing in there. Um, mm-hmm. Nonetheless, each week, Jacob and Alex offer the ginger perspective on a new topic with an irreverence that would make Conan O'Brien blush. If you know anything about ginger people, when they blush, they blush. Subscribe to Ginger on Ginger on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. You can also support Ginger on Ginger at patreon.com forward slash Ginger on Ginger, where you can get bonus episodes, online game nights, and set the topics for upcoming episodes. So check out Ginger on Ginger wherever you listen to podcasts, and don't forget to bring your sunscreen. (laughs) All right. So with that out of the way, yeah, I did listen to that. And actually, it's it's as amusing as it sounds. Um, (laughs) Catherine, with that said. Mm -hmm. I am going to turn the show back to you so that we can get into uh, our topics of discussion for the night. All right. Well, our first big topic, as always, at the end of every season is cast changes. You know, mm-hmm. who's staying, who's going, who do we want to stay, who do we want to go? And so we had a couple people ask about this in different ways. So Curly Joe was one and Sea Caves 0127 another. But basically, they're wanting to know next season who would be your ideal cast and with having so many cast members who do you think is going to leave so uh steve i guess the question is what do you think the cast is going to look like next season do you think we're seeing a lot of big exits is there anybody you would you really want to stay or go oh that's a very good question i've spent so much time with some of the uh seasoned vets of the cast that i wouldn't mind Having them leave, you know, they've, they've left me with a lot of content to enjoy whatever I want to really. And I'll, I'll always have that. So if, if any of the Chicago girls want to go, Cecily or, uh, or 80, or, or if Kate wants to leave, you know, I will, I will probably just be enjoying whatever projects they take on afterwards. Mm-hmm. You're right. As much as I will be devastated to see like Kate 80 or Cecily leave. I'm, I, I feel at peace with it. Like <laughs> it, they've been there a long time. We've seen probably all of the standout characters they are going to have. And I'm comfortable with making room for, you know, Heidi and Ego and Chloe and Melissa. It's, you know, it's not like we have a shortage of, of talent, you know, under these older cast members. Um, so, yeah. I, and I think, 
you know, it, it definitely seemed like Cecily was giving us a goodbye. Um, Pete has mentioned in a few interviews that he, he's, he's maybe leaving. Um, so I think we are looking at maybe a couple exits, if not more. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm very comfortable with that. I think the show's in really good hands when they do leave. So I might not have said that a year or two ago, but I'm saying it now. <laughs> John, what do you think? Anyone who's completed their seven years needs to go. That's, that's my, my hot take on it. Uh, like you guys said, of course, you know, we love everyone that brings their best to the show. Uh, but at this point we're extending out contracts for players that like you said, Catherine, that we've already seen what they have to give to the show and they have opportunities. And hopefully now that COVID is done, you know, whatever stalling that did, you know, as opportunities are put on hold and the cast has to reevaluate, well, can't leave my house. I might as well stick with SNL for a while. Like hopefully those conversations are changing now and mm-hmm. those players will feel comfortable that they have the right projects ramping back up that they can comfortably leave and, and not feel like they're, you know, they're giving up something uh, that they, they, they don't have anything better to go to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that is truly the case for pretty much over, everyone over seven seasons at this point. Uh, you know, Cecily's got a project dropping. 80 has got a project that's, she's been working on for three seasons. Um, Kate is never going to be without work. You know, like th- <laughs> there's, there's no reason why any of them aren't going to land on their feet. I love Heidi. I love Chloe. I love Melissa. Uh, I love Ego. I want to see more room for them. And uh, at this point, there's just nothing else that um, the, the top tier uh, seasoned vets are, are going to offer the show that those guys can't there. Mm-hmm. There's a really great crop of mid contract players that, can do all the heavy lifting and uh, it, it's really time for them to shine. And uh, I would be more than happy to see that. So if we're hovering somewhere around what, like 16, 17 cast members right now, if they went down to 12, I think you'd still have a, a really great <laughs> ensemble that yeah. could cover a lot of bases. Seven plus. Yeah. Seven you're plus. Right. Yeah. Keenan, you heard no, the, well, Ke- the Keenan, hell Keenan out. Keenan, Keenan, Keenan got to work. Keenan got to work. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't need to see Keenan go because you do need to have like one, consistent uh generation spanning presence and uh he's just you know if he's there long after i'm dead i'm okay with that (laughs) there's literally a show called keenan right (laughs) yes but keenan Keenan gotta work uh uh, we'll see what happens with keenan but um yeah if he's the one exception because he's been there so long it's it's just comfortable to know that he's there but everyone else yeah go have fun go do something else Uh, we mentioned the girls a lot, but seven plus would include uh, like Beck, oh, and, Beck Kyle and Kyle as well, absolutely. right? Kyle Mooney, uh, Pete. he he can direct a, a stunningly like quirky indie gem. You know, he's shown that he's got a mind for that kind of stuff. So go do that. You know, mm-hmm. you're the digital shorts at SNL are are just never going to give you the breathing room and and uh, the airtime that you're capable of. So yeah, go go yeah. go do something great. Same, same with Beck. I mean, he's, he's got name recognition now. He, he could definitely be the dad in a comedy. There's, there's, <laughs> there's places for all these people. Yeah. Yeah. And then that would give us more, more Alex Moffat, more Andrew Dismukes. Exactly. Yeah. Where was Alex? This yeah, season? Plenty of people. He's, he is one of the most fabulously talented, well-rounded players they have and can de- deliver a line of dialogue like nobody's business. They tapped him for Biden and we just barely saw him. Never saw him. So, so this, this is what I'm saying. Like there's, there's, yeah. there's room. So, or there should be room. Let's make some room. Very good. Uh-huh. All right. Well, John, I don't, I don't know. That's a little bit of a hot take, but it's nothing compared <laughs> to what this, uh, this next 
oh, review said. Yeah. So Steven so, Gutterson. Can I can I read Ooh, this? Hot take, Catherine. Can Go I? For it. I want to do a, like it, a, dr- so. a dramatic reading to really like sell <laughs> what what he's laying down here. Okay, so All Steven right. Gutterson. He's got he's got a spicy take that I think is probably you know not going to land well with many of our listeners, but nonetheless, this is how we roll. You know, have your say. This is a public square kind of a situation. Steven Gutterson says would not be upset if Kate Eighty and Cecily left. They are awesome, but time for Ego, Chloe, and Heidi to take their turn in the spotlight. Time for Melissa to go. Nothing against her, but she is extremely one-dimensional. She can do a spot-on impression of any female singer, but that's it. Strongly disagree. And an impressionist has to actually take that impression and make it their own. She doesn't do that. And Chloe does. There is a reason that in five years, she has only been in a handful of sketches. I do enjoy her illustrations. For anyone who doesn't know, she she does artwork and then uh, you know you can... You can find it on Instagram or put it on a t-shirt. Um, okay, so I also love the illustrations. Yes, but yeah, also no, she's, everything else. She's got a an artist and a poet's soul. I'm glad um, he at least acknowledged that after tearing her to shreds. Yeah, so that is, um, you know, that is some some scathing <laughs> uh, commentary. But nonetheless, hey, if if that's an opinion that's floating out there in the fandom, I think that's worth breaking down. So. Uh, Steve, why don't you take a run at this? How how do you feel? Do we do we line up with uh, where Steven's coming from here? I mean, based on the year Melissa had, it's 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 understandable to to think she might be a little bit dead weight at this point. Mm. Uh, I don't know. There's just so many flashes of her brilliance that comes up on the screen once in a while that just reminds me of why. I just can't quit Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> she she was your like first SNL crush on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've outgrown it professionally. But uh <laughs> uh it's uh it's it's something I yearn for is more Melissa. And the idea of the cast becoming leaner just makes me want her to stick around even more. Right. Because uh that breathing room just might be what she needs to allow her to do her thing while Chloe also does her thing. And instead of Chloe winning out that time because she just found a little way to make her character work snap or, or work in more uh, structures or alongside more writers, uh, all those opportunities can be uh, doubled and Chloe can still get what she has while there's just still room left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Catherine, you, you want to build on that? Where where do you land on this? <laughs> well, look, there's a second iteration of Dying Mrs. Gomez that keeps getting cut at dress, and until That's that true. makes it to air, she can't leave. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that is how I feel about that. But also, I think Melissa is a very charming, uh, lovely person that is very talented, and I think could find a role at the show if the cast maybe uh, gets pared down a little bit, like Steve said. So, yeah. I hope she sticks around. So here's the thing about Melissa. She is just like a big sweetie goofball who doesn't have like a malicious bone in her body. So put her in a situation where her success at the show is largely dependent on how much like drive and ambition and just like almost like political savvy she can bring to it. Cause it's not like the show is as competitive and mean spirited as it was in past eras. But 
you still have a lot of people that are all, you know, working hard to bring their best. And when you want to bring your best, you want to bring your best, right? Like ultimately nobody is going to be advocating for you as strongly as you could be advocating for yourself. And the way, the way I understand it or interpret it is Melissa's just kind of so good natured that she's, she's there ready to get on board with anything, but she isn't just generating and driving and like pushing and digging. She's, I, I just don't, I don't think that she's got that kind of a personality that is, is really going to like be her best advocate at the show. And I don't think that's helped her. Um, and it, the one thing that I really don't like about Steven Gutterson's uh, feedback is the need to contrast her with Chloe because mm-hmm. they're, they're different people who bring different things to the show. And there is absolutely room in the show for two impressionists, particularly because there's very little overlap in what they bring impression wise, you know, in their look and their physicality and just their, their natures They're They both could be part of a great ensemble. If the show sort of utilize them and, and balance them in a way where the audience doesn't look at it and say, well, I guess she's redundant because this girl can do impressions too. Like that's a, that's a very simple. And I think, um, you know, just kind of, yet needlessly oversimplification of, of kind of how the ensemble should work there. Um, so I don't think that Melissa's worth should ever be weighed next to, you know, what Chloe brings. I think there's room for both of them. So I think there is a place for Melissa. Steve, we've been doing this podcast a long time. We've talked a lot about Melissa. We think she's a darling. And, uh, even if she never quite finds her groove at SNL, uh, I don't think, you should ever write her off as one note or, you know, just a player or, you know, just a support or just a diversity hire, all the other things that sometimes people, uh, you know, pigeonhole her as, um, she is a, she's a very artistic and poetic and just genuine person. And it's, it's just hard to see her get kind of get ragged on like this. Cause you know, I'm, we've been rooting for her for a long time. Yeah. I, I know Melissa's mentioned maybe not wanting to come back, but it, she quickly retracted that statement, so I think that was maybe right. a just a low point. And hopefully, she does because even even if she's not necessarily the next breakout star, she has a lot to offer. And I think to say she's only been in a handful of sketches is also unfair. So yeah, that's a big hand. <laughs> I I don't I I don't think we've seen all Melissa can do by any means. I agree. All right, so let's keep going. Let's talk about our featured players now. We're going to, we have sort of, we have our, our fresh faces and we have our sophomores. Um, we're going to talk about the sophomores first, but I want to frame it around some feedback we got from Baron Carza, which is predictions. Who is headed for stardom at SNL? I think we've seen the last of Cecily and Keenan. Heidi, Ego, and Bowen just keep getting better and better. So we already talked a little bit about who's leaving um, and whatnot, but let's talk about Bowen and Chloe and let's think about, you know, of our featured players, is anyone headed for stardom? So we'll start with just Bowen. Steve, how do you think he's doing? Bowen is coming off of a springboard. Uh, there was no awkward stage. There was no ramp up to Bowen. There was just day of Yang from day one. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, it was a great season. Just, just to see this new fresh pocket on the show uh gave everything such a sweet ass groove uh sewed in through so many sketches uh through little 
bits and and bites if he was not the the main focus himself. We got some of the best uh, weekend update material. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah, Bowen Yang has more than proven himself to be the next breakout star of SNL. Um, more than it, it it seems like he can almost do no wrong. You know, everything he's in works. I think mm-hmm. he is incredibly talented. His line deliveries are always just on point. Super charismatic, likable guy. And then we had the iceberg. And that was a standout moment of the season. I th- I think Bowen is going to great places and I'm, I just can't wait to see what they are. So yeah, Bowen, Bowen gets an A plus from me. John, <laughs> yeah. what do you think? Yeah. Uh, going to move quick on this. Cause we've talked a lot about Bowen just throughout the season because he has been doing all the, the standout. Well, not all the standout work, but a lot of standout work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Titanic is a high watermark for the, the update desk this year. Titanic iceberg. Um, he was also, like Fran Lebowitz and like other, like just <laughs> unexpected appearances where someone like Bowen, where you would think that maybe there's limited range or like, you know, maybe he can't pull off Fran Lebowitz like Fred Armisen could, but no, that, <laughs> it's just, it's all gold for some reason for <laughs> Bowen. And um, I don't think there's any question of whether he's going to launch. Cause he already has like the, the amount of stuff he does outside the show. Uh, he was established before he came on the show in, in many respects. Um, but, He's been, you know, featured in tons of, you know, movies and, and other, uh, you know, vehicles along the way. Uh, he's in demand. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a, a unique voice and, uh, a very, um, just like fully steeped in his comedic persona, right? Like you just say Bowen Yang and people understand the energy that you're talking about. <laughs> and there's not every performer at SNL has that. Like some of the performers are more like actors and they get lost in a role and it's, it's all about just serving a scene or whatever. And no, Bowen's just there to be larger than life and just make you fall in love with whatever, like, you know, bitchy character, you know, he's, he, he wants to bring to the, the screen at any given time. Um, and, uh, he just, he knows what he does and he knows how to sell it. And, uh, he's a star done. Yeah. Fully agree. What about Chloe, Steve? Chloe continues to shine. Uh, she had a really good bump from uh, the uh, the stay-at-home portion mm-hmm. of the television program. And, yeah, I mean, as a comedian, as a performer, it was really the year of monologues. <laughs> it was, I think, what many people were, uh, you know, I don't want to say they were limited to it because they found many creative ways to do more with it. Uh, but yeah, a performer like, like Chloe, uh, you couldn't ask for a better situation and let's not pretend we don't freaking hate, uh, COVID or anything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, that, that must be the silver lining for a performer like, uh, Chloe, who does not necessarily have to rely on a bunch of, uh, performers in the room to draw energy from or whatever BS thing you need as a, as an artist to, uh, to thrive. Yeah. Chloe's doing great. And I think, you know, she's, she's proven herself. We saw her lead two cold opens this season with, as Britney Spears, which is not something you often see featured players doing. (laughs) And, you know, I I think she's, she's making a name for herself. Uh, She maybe isn't quite on the level of Bowen yet, but I think, She's on her way to being um, a, a big hit at the show. She's definitely talented enough. And I even saw, I believe I was reading Variety's like Emmy predictions. And they weren't saying 
Chloe will be nominated, but she got like an honorable mention on like Variety's Emmy breakdown, which is um saying something. So I think Chloe's doing great. John, where are you landing? Of of course she's doing great. Uh, I don't <laughs> think there's any question as to whether the show is going to want her back, whether she's found her place at the show, whether uh, she's distinguished herself as an up and coming impressionist within the cast and just someone that has a deep bench of quirky characters. Um, I think my analysis is basically the same as last year. I don't consider her like uh, maybe a, a Cecily or a Heidi, like someone that I think can draw super duper deep on a character. I, I think you always see a little bit of Chloe in the character. Like she's great with impressions, but I think when she's just doing a, a new character, um, she sells it more just on how vivacious and bubbly and fun. And just, she, she finds a, a very fun way to, to, just make you love the characters for, for their quirkiness. So um, I, I don't consider her like one of the, the deep actors in the ensemble. I consider her just goofy and fun and also really good as an impressionist because she can even make them fun and goofy too, which is that, that piece of the impressionist puzzle that not everyone can find. So I'll disagree with you. I think Chloe is mm. an actress. Okay. I think Chloe is more than a, a comedian. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we maybe haven't seen it as much on the show sure. as with other people, but I, I think she definitely has that in her. And and to build on that, a lot of what we've seen is what she's brought to the show by way of impressions or like Uli characters or things like that that are um they're they're not meant to to be sophisticated nuanced performances so much as spectacle. Um and maybe it's just because, you know, that's what she's got to offer that we haven't seen much more from her. Uh if she surprises us, you know, she becomes a repertory player and maybe starts getting media roles and she decides that she wants to really show you know, just what she can bring to a, a performance beyond, you know, goofy, fun uh, chaos. Uh, I'm here to see it. Fair enough. So Bowen and Chloe both getting A++ doing great. Let's talk about our freshmen. So we have Andrew, Lauren, and Punky coming in fresh this season. Andrew, you know, was at the show as a writer, so he maybe right. has a leg up on the other two. But let's break this down. And I want to share, Monette Moretti shared some feedback. So she says... The only new featured player I am unsure will return is Lauren. Excluding all observations that she is an 80 replacement, she hasn't done much to really break out. Punky seems to be finding her niche in sketches, and Dismuke showed in the second half of the season he will make it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about each of them and, let, and let's, you know, bring in, you know, Manette's observations as we go. Let's talk mm-hmm. about Andrew first. Like I said, I think he had a little bit of a leg up having been around the production longer. But, right. uh, John, how do you think he's doing? He's doing fine. If you can generate and you've already got allies in the writer's room and you already kind of know who you are and what you can bring and you can produce pieces for yourself, you're going to do great. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of what we saw him in uh, were things where he's, you know, contributing in producing and writing it as well. So um, he's fine. Oftentimes they they say the, uh, you know, like the the nerdy white guys are a dime a dozen on SNL. And so sometimes you just get lost in the crowd. But Mm -hmm. interestingly, you know, their lower bench really isn't too overwhelmed with that. You know, his next nearest uh, nerdy white guys would be Alex Moffat and Mikey Day. And they're, you know, they're quite further down the road. So I feel like just because he didn't come in on a rebuilding year where he's got ton of, 10 other guys that look just like him, uh, <laughs> as you maybe got in, what was it, season 38, 37, somewhere around there where, uh, you know, the John Milheisers just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, and Andrew Desmukes, uh, I think he's fine. And Monette is absolutely right that we were starting to wonder early in the season, you know, 
if he was just going to be the background character. And uh, no, he he got some meteor stuff in the back half that really showcased mm-hmm. what he can do. And uh, it was fun to see. So I think he's on the right track. I wouldn't call it a, a first season for the books, but I, I think he's fine. Yeah, I, she's absolutely right. Like the second half of the season was really Dismuke's time yeah. to shine. Um, he he was breaking out. And I think he offers something a little different than like an Alex or a Mikey. Like he has he has a very different style and uh, voice, I think. And that's helping him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he's phenomenal performer. I think his writing is really strong. And obviously that's helping him with something like the photo with dad sketch that he wrote and right. then got to star in. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's great. He's getting those young guy roles, and some people were even buzzing about maybe putting him on update. So I, I think I think he's got some fans. I don't know. <laughs> sure. I don't know if that's in the books, but you know, people like him. People want to see more right. of him, and yeah, I think I think he's off to a good start. Yep, absolutely. Steve, what do you think? I mean, out of these three that we're talking about, Dismukes is the one uh, that's first of all really benefited from that bump of having a relationship with the show pre-existing. And, you know, uh, he really has a unique voice. And uh, I think it almost works against him that he's he's such a young performer. He gets such an old show because I almost don't buy him as some of these young characters that he sometimes plays. <laughs> I mean, uh, look at Pete, who was a young performer, but also has a very youthful energy and, and appearance and, and style. Uh, yeah, uh, Andrew Dismukes just seems like a guy you'd meet at chess club and it's uh yeah it's it's a totally different vibe but i'm totally down with it and it's some of the some of the the nicest new fresh stuff i've seen on the show fair enough so and andrew's doing good i i see no reason he wouldn't be here for a second season yep let's talk about lauren and i have a lot to say about lauren (laughs) (laughs) lauren was easily the person i was most excited about I watched some of her stuff from before SNL. It was fabulous. She was very genuine. She was acting how I think I would act if I got the job. Like she wasn't trying to play it cool. And I respected that. Like she, she was in awe of it and she was excited about it. And I immediately loved that about her. And then we, she didn't get used very much. Um, I don't think she had the worst first season of people. You know, there have definitely been people that you see less of. She's not like Luke Knoll levels of where is Lauren. But definitely not all over the place. And the thing that irks me the most is the internet's obsession with saying that she's mm. just the AD replacement. Yeah. Because what those people are saying, and this is going to be a little bit of a rant, so just indulge me. And <laughs> maybe they don't realize this is what they're saying, but what they're saying is that there is only one seat at the table for this 17 person cast for there to be a woman that is above a size eight. And that is just not the case. There can be two plus sized women on the cast and they are not the same. Like she's her. Like, I don't even think her deliveries are that similar to AD. If you look at their faces, they're really not that similar. Like she's a white woman um, on the bigger end with brown hair. And that is pretty much the end of where they look alike. Like their face right. shapes are different. Um, just and so it just drives me crazy because I think I think that's such a ridiculous point of view to say that she can only be there to do what AD does. And if AD's back from filming shrill then of course lauren won't have roles i think that that's ridiculous um there's definitely more going on with why lauren maybe wasn't seen as much and that it's not it because there's room at the table for lauren and i hope she sticks around because i think she has great things to offer that we just haven't gotten to see yet so that's my hot take john (laughs) (laughs) 
Take it away. Uh, well, I, I think you, I think you did a good job of smacking down the needlessly simple view mm-hmm. of how an ensemble works at SNL. <laughs> um, yeah. See, the only problem is, whereas I don't think that comparison is fair either. Like people generally are hired because they they have a, a presence and a comedic ability that the show feels they can capitalize on. And yes, physicality matters because there's certain roles that are going to you know be well suited if you have a, a certain you know look about you. But that's one piece of the puzzle. That's not the all encompassing thing. So if people are just trying to reduce the ho- the whole uh, you know thought process behind Lauren as that, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just I don't think that that's terribly smart. Um, but unfortunately we didn't see much of her to know exactly where she is going to fit in. And, mm-hmm. and I think that if she'd had a better first season, then we'd have more to hang our hat on to say, well, no, look at what she does here and look what she does there. And this is, you know, her value. And we just didn't see enough to know uh, that said with the number of senior players that could rightly exit, I don't know how much pressure is going to be on the show to cut her time short in favor of someone else. So, um, my only feeling on Lauren is I don't know her well enough to know what, what she is, what people saw on her to get her on the show. Like I, I watch some of her stuff too, as I do with all the featured players to try and understand maybe, you know, what scored them the audition or what their magic is. And, you know, she does have some funny stuff, but, uh, we just haven't seen how that's going to translate to SNL and where she's going to stand out in the ensemble. So there's just too many questions with Lauren for me to feel confident in her Mm -hmm. place at the show. But if anything's working in her favor, it's going to be that there's hopefully a lot more breathing room for her to take another run at it next season with a a much wider playing field for her to hopefully shine in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we always root for them and um, yeah, I just, I I hope that she gets that opportunity to give us something more to root for. Yeah. Steve, what do you think? No, one's going to disagree with uh, the notion that she was, used sparingly throughout the season right there's nothing really of anything of note other than maybe the uh relationship at re- the relationship expert that got dumped uh during her uh her piece uh mm-hmm. that was probably her her biggest spotlight moment and yeah that's like one out of a whole season so we don't have a whole lot to point to and say this is why she's going to do great on the show that doesn't necessarily mean we'll, we'll, we will never have moments to point to and say, see, look, she's doing great. We just got to be patient, maybe trim down the cast. Uh, she never showed much incompetence. I mean, sure, mm. these hoops that she was given to jump through were two inches off the floor and 10 <laughs> feet wide. Uh, but, uh, you know, she didn't trip over them. So, yeah, she was given a little, but she did a, she did her job for all of it. Yeah, I just think it would be a shame to see her get cut when I think the biggest thing working against her is not a lack of talent, but just that there's so many people there. Yeah, she she proved nothing to me either way. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She so, didn't prove me that she that she shouldn't be there is what I'm saying. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, let's talk about Punky, who also was not utilized um, very heavily. Uh, a lot of people feel very strongly about punky um one way or another so john where are you leaning on her i like punky and we didn't see a lot of her but what we did see of her 
made an impact for me personally. Um, what I really liked from what I saw from Punky maybe later in the season is I saw some acting like she's got a personality. She's got a vibe. She's got a, a rhythm and a flow and just a there's, you know, she's got a personality to her and the, the easy assessment is, oh, okay. She's kind of maybe like a Leslie Jones and that she's going to come in and it, every sketch she's in, she's Leslie in a way, or she's in this case, she's punky in a way. And that's kind of the fun of it. Sort of like Bo and Yang, even though he's surprised us with some good character work, he's a personality. And I just kind of thought that's what I was going to get from her. But then I saw some like more like nuanced, subtle, uh, just considerate roles from her. And I'm like, huh, maybe, you know, maybe I was too quick to pigeonhole where I thought she was going to fit in. And, uh, you know, look at that good work over there. So we didn't see a super lot from her, but I just remember being impressed on more than a few occasions that uh, I, I like what she's bringing. And I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I like punky. So um, I don't think she's in trouble as far as getting a second season. I, I think uh, there's opportunity for her to grow with the show and um, yeah, I, I, I want to see more, but what I've seen so far, I'm, I'm enjoying. Interesting. Steve, where are you landing with punky? In agreement with John, uh, out of uh, out of the new people, um, she was at least out of the the new girls. She was the one to uh, have her personality seep out into uh, her performances. I feel like I got to know Punky a little bit, um, just just more completely, and that might be the source of why we still hear Lord and and 80 comparisons is because we just never got to got to know Lauren in any meaningful right. way. Uh, here I am saying, Oh, she was able to do a line. Well, like I want to be able to talk about, you know, what makes her tick. And I, and I, I can't even do that. Like I can't even do my job and articulate her, uh, her presence on the show. Uh, I, I have a bit of an easier time doing that with punky because we kind of see her have something that like allows her to have fun and 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 loosen up a little and and put some of her own personality into it there's there's room for that in what she's given that's interesting to me punky is the one that i just have no read on okay (laughs) (laughs) i i mean she was in some things that i thought did a good job in a lot of things like i don't think there's anywhere where punky wasn't good it's just i don't feel like i have a good idea of what punky's style is or what punky's voice necessarily is uh so I don't, but I I seem to be in the minority with that. Okay. So I'll I'll accept it. Okay. <laughs> she okay. seems so, well liked. So I, so if there's a bottom line to any of this, we want a second season because yeah. we still need to get to know these guys. That's that's yeah. kind of more or less where we're landing with all of them. Is it, it wasn't like um, you know, like Mikey Day had a really good first season. Uh, Heidi Gardner had a really good first season. Bo and Yang had a really good first season. I don't think we had anything of that kind mm-hmm. of a level from any of our newbies this year um so yeah let's uh let's give them a bit more room to to shine next year yeah. yes and, and, and it's want not season be- 45 season two <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> yes yeah because i think the other thing we're saying is they all seem capable and talented yeah, yeah. it just wasn't room yeah, yeah and that's that. exactly all right well we're definitely running long so let's get through these <laughs> kind of quickly okay. let's talk about our season's bests all right up first is moment of the season Steve, what is it? Oh, moment of the season. Gun to my head. Um, geez, do I do I get meta and say it's Elon Musk dancing around as as Wario? 
That seems it's, to be the only highlight worth mentioning in SNL's eyes. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to give it to another musical moment. Uh, the the silly song that capped off huh, capped off the iceberg. Uh, <laughs> uh, lover boy. Yeah, lover boy had an early lunch, but I'm hungry for you, lover boy. Uh, some of the most random, crazy lyrics <laughs> to uh, to follow a random, crazy uh, bit by the brilliant Bowen Yang. So, yeah, that was a that was a, a great little moment, and I, I don't even think I gave that as the moment for that episode if I even was on that cast. Uh, but uh, I'll give it uh, I'll give it to to it for the season because it, it really stuck with me. Yeah, sometimes you marinate on it a little bit and things start to stand out more than yeah. when you're talking about it the next day. It started to taste like Montreal's steak spice in my <laughs> mouth. So those marinades really seeped in. I thought about going, and, and and I ultimately decided that this isn't allowed, but I thought about saying when Dan Levy was announced as the host. Um, That's a little too meta. It's yes. a little too meta, so I'm not <laughs> going to go with that, but it was very exciting for me. That's but an off-hours moment. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to go with the moment in the first appearance of Dr. We Notice uh, where it turned and we saw what the joke was and Colin said, are you okay? Um, Kate, Kate, are you okay? I just thought that was <laughs> phenomenal. It, it, it made that character just shine and work and it was maybe one of my biggest laughs of the season. So that's my moment. John, what's yours? Uh, mine's from the Titanic iceberg weekend update feature. It's the moment where, uh, Bowen is acting as though he's being drawn into this discussion. Like, I don't want to go back and revisit that situation, but then there's a little turn where he says, oh, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. <laughs> and then you can see him get like a little emotional, like, like he's, he's kind of got a, like a almost like a, a little bit of a lump in his throat. Like he's just on the verge of tears. And he says like, first off you ran into me <laughs> and it's like you, you get, there was so much pitch perfect performance in that moment. And it was something we hadn't seen for bone because a lot of his characters are totally in command. They're there to give you the smackdown. Like they've got your number. This is why you're the worst. And they're going to just lay it all out for you with total confidence. That's what, you know, Chen Biao is. But in this one, there was just a little bit of the, the diva who just gets like emotionally caught up in it and feels the victim. Mm -hmm. And how brilliant is it to find that spin on the freaking Titanic iceberg? <laughs> and then to realize it with that, with the savvy, the performance savvy to recognize that that is the funniest way to bring that character forward to have that moment where they feel they're being attacked the mm -hmm. iceberg is being attacked that's that is genius bowen is genius that whole piece was genius um but that moment in it when it was something so new uh for a bowen character at the desk uh, i just i ate it up i loved it that's my moment yep that was definitely a standout moment of the season let's mm -hmm. talk about best live sketch what gets it steve best live sketch I'm going to give it to Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima okay. was uh, dealing with subject matter. That was, I think, uh, I think it's almost like a responsibility of SNL to cover stuff like this. <laughs> it's the kind of stuff like you go into your office and it's, 
you, you keep your opinion about it to yourself. You don't want to start anything. So it's just something you, you hold on to. You, you turn on your TV late at night and you have an outlet to, to deal with some of these issues of race that are popping up in, in the, in the narrative of media. So, uh, yeah, SNL is doing the ballsy thing as it should and, and, and taking this on, obviously through the, uh, brilliance of Dave Chappelle. So there's that going on for it, but you know, it, it was just a funny sketch in how it derailed. Like, I really liked how they broke the fourth wall and started talking about uh, Pete Davidson's lips. There's just some really hilarious stuff there. And yeah, it's kind of a guest writer situation with Neil Brennan working on this. So it's, uh, it's no offense intended for any native writers of the show. Uh, you know, just, just, I just really had fun with this yeah. for, for the reasons I stated. Yeah, that was, I mean, that, that was a very good sketch. I had trouble with this category because I just thought most of the breakout moments this season were pre-tapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I looked back through everything I gave best sketch to and like 90% of them were pre-tapes. Right. So of, of the live sketches that I, I thought were great was the supermarket sweep. <laughs> the wooden signs one, uh, Ego's immigrant parents, and then the Grinch, which was sure. I forgot about, but was hilarious. Um, I think wooden I'm going signs to were amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go with the wooden signs. Um, <laughs> it just tapped into something that was so true to me, especially like I was just home in Alabama. My mom's got more and more every time I come back. <laughs> like you know, she's got. They're all about her dog, and they're all about sweet tea. And then there's like random crosses everywhere, <laughs> despite the fact she's not that religious. So what about like, her dirty house and promiscuity. Where's, where's I'm that buying sign? that for her birthday, which is this month. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, it just tapped into something that was a big truism for me. And I thought they did it really well. And it, it was great. That, I think that was my highlight of the live sketch fair. Yeah. John, 80, what are you 80 plays put upon very well. Like that yeah, really she, helps to sell that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've got kind of a, a dark horse, uh, like sleeper sketch. It's from the Dave Chappelle episode, but it's not really a Dave Chappelle vehicle. It's called Hailstorm. And it was a, a back <laughs> half sketch. And uh, I, I'm not even entirely sure why I loved it so much, but it just, it just worked for me for some reason. Uh, and I think I was already having fun with that show. So it worked even better, but it's, it's, it's a simple sketch. It's like the man on the street news report after a town is devastated by a terrible hailstorm <laughs> and they're interviewing people on the street that have been impacted. And then they come across, um, Kate and, you know, she's a, a local woman of years, you know, she's an older character. And then, um, you know, so she tells a little bit about her story during the, the situation. Then they come to Keenan and he's also someone of years, um, and then through the back and forth of these interviews, it starts to reveal that these two are having a, a, a very like PG love affair and they're at the point where it's irrepressible and they just kind of have to let the world know. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, I just found it so charming. And, and Keenan, when he, it, this character was basically like, uh, cousin Willie, but like without the darkness of it, but like mm-hmm. when he just plays kind of those simple older characters that are so congenial and well-meaning, but also they're, you know, they're revealing, you know, that they're, they're basically, uh, you know, planning to backstab their significant others. Like there, there's, there's just so much going on that's revealed in this narrative. Um, 
And I don't know. I just, I ate it up. I thought it was so fun and so goofy. And uh, yeah, I just, I just loved it. I, and that's as much as I can offer as far as its brilliance. It just, it really tickled me. Yeah. Well, it was a fun sketch. And I will say like, it felt very classically SNL in a way that yeah. I think the wooden signs one did too. Like it, it's just, sure. it's a setup. It's a scene that we know it, we we as soon as it starts you can you can kind of see like this is how it's going to move forward it has a clear pattern um yeah they just they just feel very snl i remember a gazebo was there a, there was gazebo, a gazebo involved yes yeah. This? yeah it it saved them from the hail something those lines where they had their first kiss yeah yeah and then <laughs> we kissed and he's like so proud to be able to actually say it out loud it's just it, it it's just the it's just the simple charm of those characters in in a situation that's so much bigger than their reality like the small town nothing this like erotic ever happens to them right <laughs> I oh i don't know when snl tickles me it really tickles me <laughs> i think that's fair yep let's talk about those uh let's talk about those pre-tapes that really stood out steve what's your best pre-tape Beck bennett standing in the rain Confessing his love oh, for Ego. Yeah, to Ego. Take yeah. me back. That's right. Take me back. That Take is a me back. brilliant pre-tape. I gotta say that one is uh it's a it's a gift that keeps on giving this one. Mm. Um there are sketches that never reach heights as high as this one. And this one seems to just stay at the top and, and just constantly spike and, and poke at that uh ten out of ten laugh out loud. Uh, comedy all through just brilliant lines and brilliant timing and that timing is made through amazing performances editing uh everything's coming together to make a great uh pre-tape here yeah Good i mean the hot take we put out that week was and i quote take me back is a perfect sketch yeah so <laughs> we we all really loved that one for there were so many excellent pre-tapes uh, this was hard for me I think an honorable mention is definitely that ESPN one with Heidi a couple weeks ago. That one was oh, really good. <laughs> but ultimately for me, it's down to Stu and Christmas morning where mom got a robe. Oh yeah. And I'm still not sure which one to give it to. They were well, go with, go, always go with Chloe's dog. If given the choice, go with Chloe's dog. <laughs> uh, I, I was leaning towards Christmas morning. So not because of the dog, although that is a strong contender. Just because once, once again, it felt very true. It was something I got to laugh at my mom with. And what more could I ask for? And it was so high energy and so clearly the standout of that episode and immediately shareable and can watch rewatch it every year at Christmas. And it's going to be fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give it to Christmas morning. I think that, that that's a good one. We talked about Castillo and Beulah earlier already, but I mean knocked it out of the park with all with these um and yeah that was one of the best ones so yep. john what's your pre-tape okay so the right answer is take me back but the pre-tape that i had the most fun with was tiny horse <laughs> i feel like that was just uh just delightfully unexpected and quizzical right like what is the horse and you know you just because they play with scale and they kind of do the reveal in a weird way like you don't you don't quite understand really what the tiny horse is and then you realize there's there's nothing to understand this is just glorious stupidity kind of wrapped in like serious over-the-top emotional like melodrama um and i just sometimes it's it's not any one thing about a sketch like the the perfect writing and craft of take me back sometimes it's just 
how much I'm grinning at the end of it. And Tiny Horse, like I said, when SNL tickles me, it really tickles me. And this is another moment where, yeah, they just got me. Yeah, th- this was that's another one uh, with Castillo attached to it. So big season. Um, really great stuff. Tiny Horse was another high contender for me. So, yeah. You know what I liked about it? It it, it was on the wrong show. <laughs> okay. In, in a way, like it, it just felt like it should be on some weird, like, three in the morning adult swim program <laughs> mm. that's just experimental comedy uh yeah snl takes a chance like that one every once in a while all right well let's talk about our best weekend update feature steve see i was thinking you know chen biao but then uh it, when i started thinking about moments that i thought of uh the iceberg you know that just made me think well yeah the iceberg was probably like one of the best and if it wasn't that, then it was maybe Annie Leibovitz and and Martin Scorsese. So, either way, I'm I'm going with with a Bowen thing. So I might as well just pick the iceberg because I had nothing but praise for it, and you know, just I I praised his creativity and 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 how Bowen allowed himself to to go into weird places when developing that. Mm-hmm. So that is a, a very inspiring piece for me. Yeah, uh, I think, I think ha- it deserves it. I think hands down, it's the iceberg. Um, almost, not completely, but almost no contest. I mean, I thought that was perfect. Bowen just really performed it. We've already mentioned it a few times, so I won't, I won't linger on it too long. But it was fabulous. It was one of <laughs> my favorite moments of the season. Yes. I will give an honorable mention to the village people. Mm. <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> yeah. John, what are you going with? All right. So... First off, again, Bowen is the right answer. You guys have already made the case. So I'm going with, again, one that was surprising and just fun and infectious. And that uh, I think um, because I love Melissa and when she gets a moment, it it really works for me when she really does something that makes a show for me. Uh, when she came out and did Dolly Parton at the desk and did uh, her Christmas songs. And of course, you know, she's not Dolly Parton, but she just happens to be, you know, Dolly Parton. Um, I, I find those pieces from Melissa where uh, kind of like uh, white male rage where she just comes out to be Melissa, but obviously she's working an angle. She's, she's got something else up her sleeve and she thinks that she's snowing the audience and that nobody, <laughs> uh, you know, understands the game that she's playing. And so she has this kind of like uh, corny incredulity to being accused. Uh, there's something fun about that, but it all hangs on the Dolly Parton impression. And of course the pipes to back it up. And it's rare to see those two things come together. You've got comedy, you've got spot on Dolly and you've got the notes and the look, you know, like they went all out with the prosthetics and everything. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, that was a good moment for Melissa and it was a lot of fun. And yes, the Titanic was the best feature of the year, but this was the one that really uh, just made me happy. I think that's fair. It was, I mean, it was another standout. We gave that yeah. one a very, very good review on that episode. Yep. Fair enough. Let's talk about MVP, Steve, of the whole season. Who is it? Whoa. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's such a toughie for me. Uh, like, part of me wants to say Beck, but I also know that a lot of the stuff I'm thinking of is just really fresh in my mind. Uh, and I've been talking about Bowen so much and, you know, how I had to, like, pick between three different Bowen spots for uh, best weekend update feature. Uh, dude's nuts. Dude's crazy. And 
Yeah, I think I want to give it to Bowen just because he continues to just make SNL feel brand new to me. <laughs> you know, there's Good. there's there's the the Becks and the Kyles, and yeah, they got their own unique stuff. Uh, but they've been brought in to fill uh, holes that were left by other uh, cast members. You know, the the lonely island island crowd getting replaced by a good neighbor. That was, you know, that's a decision you can follow. Bowen is just this new appendage onto the show that's like, you know, they weren't looking for the the next Taron Killam or the next <laughs> right. Jay Farrell. They just found a beautiful baby Bowen Yang and <laughs> nursed it into a an amazing uh comedy force on the show. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. how many times can we say Bowen's name tonight? Sure. <laughs> Uh, but I'm not going to give it to Bowen. Uh, oh. I'm going to give it to Ego. And I, I don't have all the numbers to back this up, but Ego was pretty present. And I thought everything Ego did was fabulous. And she brought her own take to it, her own voice. And I felt like she was all over the place. And just throughout the season, I kept saying, Ego's doing great. Ego's having a great season. And I stand by that. So even though you know I, I maybe don't have a top list of top five ego sketches ready. I do feel very confident that she was the standout of the season and was doing great work. Mm -hmm. John, who is it for you? Yeah, you're not wrong about ego. She took a big step up this year in how much material she was able to push through. That was right material for her. Like she got a recurring character, Dionne Warwick. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's, that's no small feat in modern SNL to kind of find a vehicle that has legs and a character that is so fun that you can throw any celebrity at them and their cluelessness will kind of carry that. Um, so that, that was big for, her. and yeah, some of the more poignant social commentary she was, you know, at the forefront of too. And some of the raps, you're right. She's all over the place. So, uh, she is definitely an honorable mention for me, but I'm going to take a slightly different tact. I'm giving it to Pete. I think this of all the seasons that Pete's been on, this is the most peaty of the seasons. <laughs> he and came I think into it this season. Yeah, this was this was him at the top of his contract, finally being, I, I hope, a little more even keel and stable just, you know, in his life, um, coming off like big movies. Like I, the, the guy's not suffering from self-esteem issues at this point. Like he is established as, way more than you would have expected him to be at this point in his life. Mm -hmm. And on the show, he brought a lot to all the raps. Like you think about just how many like rap musical type things they produce uh, now. And between him and Chris red, you know, they're, they're driving a lot of that stuff. He was the Grinch. He is Chad. He is at the update desk. He is now being utilized in much more adventurous roles than they would have given him previously. Cause he's not cracking up. He's doing sketch comedy and he's yeah. doing it well. Yeah. So I don't know if it's MVP or most improved, but <laughs> this was, this was a victory lap for Pete in a lot of ways after such a rocky up and down, like how does Pete fit into the show? Like, you know, there's been so many questions surrounding him and, and just even just where he's at personally to see him on an upswing and just really own a season felt good. Yeah. For definitely. attendance alone, he's improved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Definitely improved. Like I think the only time, definitely the only time I can think of that he broke was the count Chocula thing and yeah but you blame him to. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then we saw p get some impressions that were pretty good so mm -hmm. he definitely had a good season yeah yeah all right steve what was the best episode gonna give it to dave Chappelle. that was uh, a fun episode foo fighters are a great band the you know we uh 
we had a lot of fun with Dave and it was right after the election. That's kind of a thing now with having Dave hosting at that particular time. Uh, it was something that I looked forward to. It's something that stick, stuck with me. Uh, that was, that was a real event. And, uh, you know, uh, it didn't cost me any money like the Elon Musk episode. So <laughs> I, I remember it more fondly. Fair enough. I, I'm going to go with uh, Chalamet and Springsteen. I, I thought that was a really strong episode. I remember it quite fondly. I think there were, you know, there's three or four sketches I, I remember that I still really enjoy. And, you know, not every episode of SNL has that many that stand the test of time. So I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed what Timothy brought to it. And yeah, it's you can't miss with Springsteen. So that's mine. John, what's yours? Uh, those were both contenders. I'm glad that you guys covered them because that'll let me go down my list a little bit and do an honorable mention more than anything. I really like the Adele episode and I don't uh, think it was necessarily absolutely the, the, you know, objectively top episode of the season, but I found her to be a, a surprisingly game host. Uh, you know, you, when you have a musician come in, especially someone who, um, publicly struggles with like nerves and that kind of stuff, like you just wonder, what are you going to get? And she impressed. And on top of that, there was some really fun standout moments. Uh, you know, there was the moment where she walked off the stage cause they, they built a sketch basically as an opportunity for her to sing her hits. And then she, you walks out in the audience and those kind of moments where the, the crane pulls back and you see the, you see the studio, um, you know, and she's singing to the rafters, those kind of moments always get me. And then on top of that, <laughs> I know the sketch was controversial and some people weren't on board with it, but I really love that African tourism sketch. <laughs> I, I know that they were having so much fun with it. And, uh, if you can just, you know, get past whatever, you know, uh, social detriment it, it, it may be, uh, feeding into, uh, I like that kind of stuff. So that whole show just was, it just kept perking me up and handing me something that I don't see as much of on SNL as I'd like. And, um, yeah, for that, I walked away very satisfied by that show. Fair enough. That was quite the argument to be made. Let's talk I about like best like. host, Steve. Let's talk about hosts, baby. You know who uh, I thought was a great host? Mr. Krasinski. Mm. And he was worth the wait. He was uh, a uh, postponed host and kind of got the short end of the stick when he was uh, originally scheduled. So it was nice to see him on the show, and I thought he did great. Uh, He was always a great comedic performer uh, in his earlier roles. And... Yeah, I thought he was great in the monologue. I thought he did some great character work. He had some really uh, fun moments, and you know, he had fun with it. About he was a little bit giggly, a little bit breaky. He was like <laughs> the best of all the uh, possible sources of charm from a host, whether it be from being really good and really funny, or being really nervous and awkward. There was a little bit of all that, and there was just like a perfect package of, you know. You know, first-time host, but also great performer, and and all those ingredients were there for for just a tasty stew. <laughs> Fair enough. I um I really really want to give it to Dan Levy because mm-hmm. I was so excited about him, and I think I think he did a wonderful job. But yeah. for all of the reasons John just mentioned, I think it's Adele. <laughs> she just brought a lot of joy. Uh, she surprised me, and. I had a great time when Adele hosted and it was, it wasn't the best, you know, back end to end episode, but Adele really brought it and, and gave me a lot of things to have fun with. So, um, yeah, that's mine. 
John, who is your best host? Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, yeah. I thought about that one. Yeah. So we've had a lot of good hosts this season. We we Mm -hmm. absolutely have. Uh, But he was the one that I knew very little about. And you guys know how I watch SNL. If the monologue really, really hits, then I've got really good energy going into the live fair. And then that can that can make an episode soar. And I really think that because he owned the monologue and then because he was just so adept at everything that they threw at him, that that show was way better than a lot of first time hosts outings would be. And uh, I just liked the guy and uh, he really won me over and and I had a lot of fun with that show. And uh, I think I have to lay a lot of that at the feet of just his charisma and the surprising amount of comedic performance that he brought to it that I just wasn't expecting. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Up next, best musical guest, Steve. I know it's going to be, it's going to be that guy whose name I've already forgotten that we talked about how we couldn't remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) Who? The curly hair. No, the curly headed rapper guy. Oh, Oh, was he a puppy? No, No. not machine gun Kelly. The other one. He was like a puppy, puppy, poopy. What was it? What is his name? I literally, I could not. Jack Harlow. Bad Bunny. No, not Bad Bunny. Oh, Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow. The one we thought was uh, like a. <laughs> we thought was going to be a country man. star and ended up being a rapper. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I won't be picking that one myself. <laughs> I think uh, I might go with St. Vincent. Because St. Vincent was, I mean, not. She's not my favorite musician or anything, but she really knows how to like set up shot on a stage and, and say, hey, I just made myself a little mm-hmm. uh, corner of the world to perform in. And it's nothing you've, you've really seen before. <clears throat> She's uh, clearly talented and, and has worked very hard to, to, uh, to know music the way she does. Uh, but just the theatrics of putting on a show is there as well. Mm-hmm. And she's thinking of every aspect of that performance. And I, I think she really lands on some interesting creative choices. But, you know, the real respect is that she's thinking about making those choices and, and considering so much of her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going with St. Vincent as well. I thought she mm-hmm. she did a great job. It definitely was the most memorable to me. And one of the few who I added those tracks to, like my Apple music and still listen to them, like definitely made its way That's into my test. rotation and that yeah. i mean there were some people that performed that were maybe already in there so i don't know but um but saint vincent was someone i was familiar with but didn't listen to regularly that i now listen to regularly and i thought did a really stellar job john who's your best um i really like jack white but i have talked about him many times on the podcast in the past so uh i think it's worth highlighting her h-e-r not sure what we're going with there her um her yeah ladies and gentlemen her her yes um she really impressed she she's a virtuoso she her her technique uh with the guitar and sympathizing that with her vocals was masterful and entrancing and i love being impressed like a a lot of times snl uh, uh for obvious reasons they bring in the pop acts that uh are very very heavily commercially produced and uh they're there to launch a single and you kind of know what you're seeing and it's just it, it feels like there's a lot of machinery involved and then someone like her comes out on stage and just says yeah i'm probably the best musician you're gonna see for the next several years and just 
you know, just get on board with it now because I, I got the chops to prove it. And uh, she just she she just she just told me that in in no uncertain terms. And and I enjoyed watching it. Fair enough. Beautiful uh, man. All right, let's wrap this up on Please. the big one. <laughs> yeah, for season forty six as a whole, on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate it, Steve? It's a classic for sure. Uh, just because we always were amazed about, uh, you know, what SNL does and the amount of time that it does. And we we're always like, hey, that process is so amazing. And we've always seen like how fragile it is. Like we've seen how they get like the set uh, in place with just like a fraction of a second to spare. <laughs> uh, you know, just seeing how much they're already flying by the seat of their pants to get the show to work. And, and then you throw COVID in there and then they go back to work and try to do it around that. Uh, if you're already like just interested in, in viewing SNL through that lens, this has been probably the most interesting year for you as a fan. Uh, yeah. Cause we already know like all of us, we, we, we know how hard it is to make this show <laughs> and you know that the, they're doing it on hard mode they 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 probably <laughs> didn't consider a higher difficulty setting of this uh this video game of life they turned on uh mm -hmm. but yeah this is like this is nightmare mode <laughs> that's so, true yeah. like like yeah they started out with audiences that weren't weren't really given much to them which they eventually even mentioned in the finale yeah. <laughs> and that's something i didn't even consider like just all the socially distancing and constantly testing and and the amount of toll that takes on your psyche when trying to just get the show together but yeah then just to not have a decent audience for for direct react to all that hard work it's got to be really discouraging yeah and, and plus i mean i think they weren't they weren't doing these sketches without masks until dress rehearsal like they, they weren't seeing people's mouths until that point yeah they, right. they definitely had a lot they were working against and if you if you want to give that handicap i think it, then yeah it's a classic but i think if you if you just look at what we got i'm feeling great but part of that's just because i don't know i think i'm scared to give anything a classic <laughs> it feel <laughs> it feels like too high a phrase i don't know uh but i i think i think it was definitely a great season um not a not a lot of episodes that were you know just we didn't give anything like a week or a train wreck or I didn't um lots of really really good hosts great moments fabulous pre tapes across the board um it's great leaning towards a classic um we'll see what John says and then maybe I'll amend what I thought <laughs> John where are you like no yeah. there's there's no controversy here um the fact that they chose to go back to eight h and attempt to put on a show that looked and had the scope and scale of regular SNL. That was audacious a year ago when, you know, when they doubled down on that and committed to that. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what was going on with the rest of late night television or, or daytime, anything that wasn't like, you know, a scripted comedy, um, nobody else was doing anything like that. It was remote, like Skype style mm -hmm. interviews. And, uh, you know, everything on TV kind of looked like our podcast. So, for them to sit down and just pencil out, how do we make this work and how do we work with all the city restrictions and, and state restrictions and, and how do we, you know, write an hour and a half 
mostly remotely because most of the writers are collaborating over zoom and like it's just there's so much of snl that happens because people kind of through osmosis inspire each other because they're all in that you know stanky 17th floor of 30 rock um just like toiling away and trying to amuse each other and find inspiration and chase muses. And so much of that is communal. So for them to not know if they were going to be able to find the inspiration and be able to collaborate and get good material pulled together and produced, like, I don't know if we can really appreciate how many risks they took with that. Like the Mm -hmm. end result isn't that anyone's going to die, but the end result is you could get really dismal television. And the fact that we got, a lot of really good SNL this season, like on par with most seasons of SNL with all those handicaps is a feat that needs to be applauded. And it is a season that if you think of classic in terms of, you know, this season is special, it's transcendent. It's, it's marking a point in history and it's going to be infinitely rewatchable because you understand the context in which it was produced for those reasons. It's got a classic air about it. But if you're going to be objective and say, what was the caliber of comedy without any of that meta? I think it, it's super high decent because it was so uneven. It was a very front loaded season trying to capitalize on the election. And I, I don't think that they have great political commentary that they're, that they work into their cold opens and the stunt casting remains like there was a lot, there, there were still some missteps there, uh, early on and they were doing those big long runs. So you do get some burnout. So there's, there's all sorts of unevenness, the, uh, the, the streakiness, you know, that we already talked about. So it had a lot working against it that way. And, and I'm not going to say that comedically it was the greatest, greatest season, but the amount of good SNL that we got, despite that uphill battle that they've been fighting, that that just deserves the highest award. So it's a classic for that reason. And for them to then go out on a limb for the finale and say, you know what? We got the all clear. We're bringing in an audience that actually wants to be here. That's going to, you know, give us what we need to turn in an absolutely fantastic finale. No medical books. Yeah. The other mark of a great season is, does it go out on a whimper or does it go out with a bang? And this one went out with a pretty damn good bang. So I'm going classic. All right. Well, I'll make it unanimous then. I'll make it a classic. Okay. <laughs> All right. If, you you made a strong case. <laughs> Good. I try. That's what I'm here for. Right. I, I made that exact same case. Well, <laughs> I made it so much more eloquently. You didn't talk for eight <laughs> minutes about it. So. No. Nobody ever talks as much as John does. Come on. <laughs> no. Well, I was already leaning that way. I just needed the peer pressure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, season forty six. A classic season of SNL, one for the books, one for the ages. Um, happy to have been along for the ride. And that's a wrap. Thanks to Steve Finn and John Murray. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Neil Weinstein, Justin Gardner, Grace Kogan, and Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever better podcasts can be found. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back throughout the summer with more fun SNL content. But until then, this has been episode number 140 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm Catherine Coleman. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.